Hey, I would love for you to join us in one of our three Christmas Eve services on December the 24th at the Orchard Church. We have two regular services at four and six and a higher risk service at 2 p.m. that day. All the details are available at fourgilmer.com. That's F-O-R-G-I-L-M-E-R, fourgilmer.com. You can find out all about it and reserve your seat there for one of our two regular services or our higher risk service at 2 p.m. We've all had to miss out on so many things this year, but don't miss out on celebrating Christmas. Join us on Christmas Eve as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus and worship Him together. Merry Christmas. Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus no matter what you're going through today. Today, there seems to be a lot of misrepresentation about the Holy Spirit. Some churches teach a whole lot about Him and some churches don't talk about Him at all. But either way, there, there seems to be a lot of confusion among Christians about who the Holy Spirit is and what He does in your life. Last week we talked about how you know if you're a legalist, and this week we're going to talk about how you know the Holy Spirit is really at work in your life today. Today I want us to to dive deep again into this last sentence second to last sentence that Paul has for us in Romans 2 it's a really interesting sentence because after building a case about why God is angry at sin and who God is angry at Paul identifies who is really a child of God Okay, now he uses this phrase, true Jew, okay? And he says, a true Jew is this. But for Paul, while he's writing to Jewish believers and Gentile believers, what they're hearing and what he is intending to say here is that a true chosen child of God. That's who the Jewish people were. They were the chosen people of God. A true child of God is this person. And he says it in Romans 2. He says, a true Jew, this child of God, is one whose heart is right with God. A true Jew, a true child of God, their heart is right with God. Right with God. That's a big statement right there. I don't have time to go into that. That's a big statement. But let's see what he says here. He says, true circumcision... In other words, the sign of the children of God is not merely obeying the letter of the law. So last week, we looked at what it means to be a legalist and how you know you might be a legalist. I gave you five indicators that might show that you're a legalist. And I don't care what you say, that was a good sermon. And... (laughs) I liked that so much that I had to, when I was making my list, I had to reevaluate some things in my own life. I mean, it really hit me pretty hard last week, and I think it ought to be really good for you. If you missed that, I really encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon about what it means to be a legalist, because you might be a legalist if, and I gave you five ifs on that last week, and it was really good. Um, So uh, a true Jew and the true mark of being a child of God is not merely obeying the letter of the law, not just being a legalist, but 
Here's the sign right here. Here's the sign of being a child of God. It is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. The mark of a real believer, a true child of God, is that your heart has been changed and is being changed by the Holy Spirit. And so last week we looked at this legalism question, but this week I want to look at this spirit question. I I want us to talk a little bit this week about how do you know if you have the Holy Spirit in you? I mean, how do you know if the Holy Spirit really is active and alive and working in you? How do you know? How do you know? So I want to kind of do a little bit more of an academic thing than I normally do. I want to look at that some, uh, and that's what we're going to do today. But before I get into that, I just want to say a big thank you to Jeff Parker and our worship team. Our team did a great job today, didn't they? I got to say, way to go, guys. Um, I I, uh, asked Jeff for a couple of specific things earlier this week, and he didn't just put it together. Y'all sounded great. And I didn't just feel like you were playing some songs I was supposed to sing along with. I felt like you were leading me in worship today. So thank you, uh, worship team. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys. Thank you. Um, So thank you. Uh, Y'all are amazing. Uh, So here's what I want to do. I want us to get into this, and I want us to look at what it means uh, to be a child of God. How do you know you have the Spirit, and what does it mean uh, for Him to be working in your life? And so I'm just going to hit this kind of quickly and skim over some academic stuff, and then we're going to go a little bit deeper. So first of all, I want you to know that you recognize the symbol that we always have of the Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, we in the Christian church, we call this the Trinity. Uh, this is the three persons of God in one person. Yeah, we theologically believe, if you're a Christian, uh, you believe that God is three distinct individuals, three distinct people in one person. What? (laughs) I mean, that's crazy. We don't understand that. I mean, we get from the Old Testament, you know, that hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, right? He's one. We know he's one, yet we clearly see all through Scripture, all the way back to Genesis, God says, let us make man in our image, right? And before he does that, we even see before that that God creates the heavens and the earth and the Spirit hovered over the waters. I mean, we see these hints all throughout Scripture of a Father, a Son, a Holy Spirit, but it doesn't really get crystal clear for us until the New Covenant, the New Testament. And so it's difficult to understand this. I don't really know how to explain it, and I got good news for you. I'm not the only one. Uh, You can read all the commentaries, you can study all the scholars, and nobody knows really how to articulate this super well. I mean, from time to time, you hear the different ways people try to illustrate this. Uh, they say that, you know, it's, uh, the, that God is sort of like an egg, you know, and the egg has three main parts, the shell, the white, and the yolk. Um, but no, that's not the way God is. You don't have to peel through one layer to get to others, to get to God. It's not, it's not like that. They're three distinctively different individuals yet they're one. Uh, some have tried to illustrate it by saying, okay, look at the example of yourself. Like, look at Steve. Steve is a son and a father and a husband. 
So I, I, I myself operate in three different modes, but actually, no, that's not true either about God. Uh, that's called modalism, and that's been branded as a heresy by the church. It's not one person acting in three different ways. God is three distinct individuals in one person. And I can't fully explain it, and I don't think we'll ever get our heads around it until we're there one day. And I think that's when we'll fully get it. But the bottom line is this, and it's the first blank on your page, is that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We always say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus himself told us uh, that when you're doing your job, when you and I are being the light of the world, the reason we're created and the mission that we're on is to be a light to this world, to go and make disciples. So Jesus tells us that you will go and make disciples, baptizing these disciples in the name of, it's Matthew 28, in the name of the Father, there we go, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself names the three names in the Trinity. He equates all three as part of the Godhead. So the Holy Spirit is really, really important. And it's really important for us to understand who the Holy Spirit is and how you know he's working in, in, uh, in your life. This matters to us because if what God tells us in his word is true about the working of the Holy Spirit, then your ability to live the abundant, overcoming life lies in your access to the Holy Spirit. You, you can never experience the power, the peace, the presence of God without the Holy Spirit being active in your life. So this matters. It really matters to all of us. Now, I know there's been a lot of confusing teaching about this. I, I know you've heard widely and wildly varying types of teaching about the Holy Spirit. For about 1900 years, there was kind of a common general knowledge about who the Holy Spirit was and what he did. Everybody used the same terminology about it. It all worked the same way. So when you would talk about the Holy Spirit, you could speak in terms and everybody would understand what you're saying. Until, I mean, all the great revivals of history, the Reformation, all the everything, most of Christianity happened under kind of one common umbrella of understanding about what the Holy Spirit was. Until about 115 years ago, there was a group of people that came along and they began to kind of reappropriate some of the terminology. They began to take some phrases, biblical phrases, and kind of redefine them a little bit and change the terms somewhat. So now when I, when I say something like, hey, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, well, you think differently about that term today because of what happened about 115 years ago. There's, there's about 1,900 years of Christian history where everybody understood what that meant, but today, in this last blink of an eye, all of a sudden there's a very different idea about what that means. So these groups, this brand of Christianity has come along, and they've kind of redefined terms, and they've relabeled, and they've changed up the way we think about what it means to have the Holy Spirit at work in us. And it seems, it seems like this brand of Christianity might kind of have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. They know better than everybody else how the Holy Spirit works. You know, they, they've got it down, and so, you know, they're the authorities on this person of the Trinity, 
And what's happened is kind of bad news. There, there's other denominations that have kind of reacted poorly to this. Other denominations have kind of gone the other way in response to what these people have done rather than go, hey, um, let's look at what the word says. Uh, rather than that, they've kind of pulled off in the other direction. And they don't even want to talk about the Holy Spirit. They want to pretend the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. So you'll never hear him, uh, his name mentioned. You, you won't hear praise and worship like we do here about, you know, uh, who the Holy Spirit is and his power in our lives. There's just kind of these two different divergent groups, and they don't really mix, right? But this can't be the case, can it? This can't be the case. Um, God wants us to understand him. He's been very explicit in his word in describing who he is and what he's about in our lives. And so today, what I want to do is take a few minutes and not ask this group of people what they think, not ask this group of people what they think, but let's just go to God's word and let's see what God himself says about uh, the Holy Spirit in our lives. Is that cool with you guys? Okay, so let's look at this. Jesus tells us to baptize believers in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I've had people ask me, why, why do you baptize in all three? Why don't you baptize in just the name of Jesus when they get saved? And I'm like, well, because Jesus told me to do it this way. So we're going to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We love the Holy Spirit. We're grateful for the blessing and the gift that God has given us in the Holy Spirit. We talk about Jesus all the time but the way we have access to Jesus is by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is called by Jesus. He's called a comforter, an advocate. He is a guide for our lives, and he gives us all kinds of gifts. He regenerates us. He convicts us of sin. He provides assurance in our lives. He seals us in Christ. He sanctifies us, and he produces fruit in us. Right, The Holy Spirit does a lot in our lives. He seems to be the active agent of God in us and through us today. It's the Holy Spirit that does this. And it would be real tempting for me this morning. If I want to point out how the Spirit works, it would be real tempting for me to just open up the book of Acts. Right, Because the book of Acts is where you kind of see him the most. He's kind of all over those pages. Acts is a, is a narrative about the early church. It's about what happened right after Jesus ascends and that first uh, couple of decades of the early church. And you see the Holy Spirit working in all kinds of different ways. And there are people, I know there are people, that will go to the book of Acts and try to establish a formula of how the Holy Spirit works based on what they see in Acts. And I think that's not a great idea because you never can tell how the Holy Spirit's going to work in Acts. He works differently every time you see him in the book of Acts. So I, I know there's, there is a group of people over here in this brand of, of Christian teaching that will tell you that when you are a Christian, um, that when you become a Christian, you get Jesus, but you don't get the Holy Spirit. You, you get Jesus, but then you have to later on somehow, I don't know, get holy enough, get sanctified enough, pray the right prayer, do the right things, and come to a point where you're ready to receive the Holy Spirit. So it's two works. It's the, you, you get Jesus, and then later on, the second work is you get the Holy Spirit. 
And there's a lot of literature about that out there in the world today. Uh, so there's a lot of that, and they, and they will oftentimes, they will point to a particular passage in Acts where that happens to Christians. There are Christians in Acts who come to know Jesus and then later on get the Holy Spirit. It happens. But if you're faithful and consistent and study the book of Acts, what you'll find is there are nine separate specific conversion stories in the book of Acts. And the Holy Spirit doesn't work the same way in two of them. He works differently in each of these occurrences. Sometimes these people are Christians. They've planted a church, and they're operating as disciples as best as they can. Uh, but then later on, the apostles come, and they're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? And they get their hands laid on, and all of a sudden, boom, the Holy Spirit comes on them with power, and they're speaking in tongues, and all kinds of stuff happens. Sure. There's other times, though, when the apostles go into a city, and no one there's heard about Jesus, and they start preaching. And they're like, okay, I got my three points, got my outline. They all have the letter G in them because God is good, and he's great, and he's gregarious. You know, I got my three points. And so I'm going to preach my sermon, and then I'm going to do the big ask. I'm going to cast the net, and I'm going to ask people to give their lives to Jesus. And so they get up there, and they, they get to about point two of their three points in their sermon. And before they can even get to explaining the gospel, all of a sudden, everybody listening starts speaking in tongues. And there's power in their lives. The Holy Spirit comes before they even pray to receive Jesus. And literally, the disciples look at each other and go, what, what do we do now? Uh, they clearly have the Holy Spirit. Maybe we ought to just bless them and call them Christians and baptize them. Okay. And so, I mean, what you see in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit is, is pretty unpredictable. It's hard to build a theology out of the book of Acts because Acts is not a prescriptive work of literature you know like you'll read the theology epistles you know romans and ephesians and galatians and philippians and corinthians you'll read some of those and you'll get here is how you are to live but acts is not prescriptive like that it's descriptive acts is a story that is written based on interviews that the apostle luke conducted and said what happened here what happened when you got to antioch how did this go and so it's the narrative of what happened not the prescription for what should happen and let's just admit that as the church is being born it explodes into existence and the holy spirit is doing this thing where they, he is switching us over from old covenant law to new covenant grace and all kinds of unpredictability happens in there. And so what I want to do today is I want to look not in the book of Acts, but I want to look through some of the rest of the New Testament and see uh, what we can learn. Because, this is the next blank on your page, because God's word provides both clarity and mystery about the Holy Spirit. And there's some really good explicit teachings about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in our lives in the scripture but there's also mystery. The book of Acts, there's a lot of mysterious, crazy stuff, and you don't know what to expect out of the Spirit from one chapter to the next. Jesus even kind of pegged that himself. In John 3, 8, Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. He's talking about the Spirit, and he's kind of saying it's he goes where he wants he does what he wants you're going to try to put him in a box you're going to try to define that be careful 
I mean, God's good. He gives us a lot of clear teaching. He's, he has shown us who his character is all about, how his character works, and how we are to relate to him. I mean, there's certain things that are inviolable about who God is and how we relate to him, but don't formulaize the Holy Spirit's work in your life because I want him to be mysterious. I want him to surprise me. I, I want him to show up and do stuff that I never expected. Man, half the time in here on Sunday mornings, when our band has finished their warm-up time, they kind of run through everything. We sit down and we go through our list because we got a list. You know, we got a playlist for Sunday. Nothing just happened. They they don't sound that good. Lee Kent doesn't sound that good because he just woke up and said, I think I'll get my guitar out today and go to the church and see if they want me to play. It doesn't work that way, does it, John? You have to practice and get ready. So we got our list. We know what songs, what key. What order? How many times we're doing this chorus, this verse? We know all that stuff, right? I know what I'm preaching on Sunday morning because I know I've been studying and preparing all week. I know we got our list. But, but here's the thing. I, I want God to show up and surprise us sometimes. And that's our prayer. After we go through our list and we talk about it together as a team, we all pray together. We stand up and we pray. We used to hold hands, but we don't do that right now. <laughs> and we just say, God, here's our list. We're doing this for you. But God, if this isn't your list, throw it out and you do what you want to do. We'll just get out of the way and watch you be God, right? Isn't that the way we pray? And here's the thing I really believe, I really believe I, I want God to be mysterious. I want the Holy Spirit to sneak up and surprise me sometimes. I do, I want him to. But here's what I believe, believer. Are you listening to me? I don't think God takes six days a week off. I've known him for a long time. I have uprooted my family and left comfortable, excellent homes, neighbors, friends, family, and jobs to follow the call of the Holy Spirit in my life. I know him pretty well, and I am convinced that he speaks to me on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. He doesn't wait till Sunday and seek up and go, oh, by the way, say this. Sometimes he will, but I've got a good enough relationship with him that I can hear him every day of the week. And he, does, he tells me in his word, he says, study to show yourself approved by God, Right? He says, accurately handle the word of truth. That's why I've got a theological library of over 1,100 books. Because I don't plan to cheat God out of what he wants to say. And I don't want to stand up here and give you my view of what the scripture says. I want to know his word and know that I'm saying it right. So you're welcome. <laughs> but the wind blows wherever it wants. And there have been times, more than a few times, where I've stood up here on Sunday morning with my message. Here, I got my message, if you want to see it. Uh, right here on the left-hand side, I got my message, and you can see my scrawlings on there. I've been writing just this morning some more stuff. On the right, I've got the, the Bible, my Bible app open. So, um, you know, I, I've got it. I've, I've got it all prepared and ready. But there's been more than a few times where God has said, nope, not that. I want you to go a different direction. Or in the middle of the message, as I get to a certain point, I'm supposed to go here next, but he says, mm, 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 I got something for you to say. 
And sometimes I say it, and I, and I get home, and I'm like, I don't even know what that was. Uh, what was that even? It didn't even make any sense. But sometimes one of you guys will come up to me after the service or will send me a text message or send me an email and saying, holy cow, you were talking to me this morning. Let me tell you what God's doing in my life right now. Thank you, by the way, as a pastor and a representative of our church staff, thank you for responding to me personally like that. I read those out loud to our staff. There's nothing more encouraging to our staff that work so hard than to hear back from you that God is working in your life. We call that a win is what we call it. And we have time every Monday in staff meetings where we talk about wins. Okay, I'm off topic right now, by the way. So, God's word provides both clarity and mystery about the Holy Spirit. You can't put him in a box. Uh, God is very clear about who he is. He doesn't manipulate you. He won't ever lie to you. He won't deceive you or cloud your judgment. God's Holy Spirit is all about bringing peace and love and grace and truth into your life. He's about lighting you up and setting you on fire. And what he does is he engenders in me and you spirit of humility and repentance. Holy Spirit is not all up in you when you're all defiant, beating your chest, and I am this. Dude, we got, a lot of, we got a lot of worship songs, great worship songs that I love. I love some of these songs, but we don't sing them here in this church because they're a lot more about me and who I am than about him and who he is. He will engender humility and repentance in me so that I point to him, not to me. That's what he does. This is how Jesus explains it to us in John 14. He says, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, as my representative. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is the advocate who represents who? Jesus. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit represents me. In other words, if I want to do some work in your life, if I want to say something into your life, if I want to speak some kind of truth to you, the Holy Spirit does this on my behalf. The Holy Spirit is speaking into your life. Jesus speaks through the Holy Spirit. So the Father sends the Spirit as Jesus' representative. He will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. The Holy Spirit is the one who speaks the Word of God in our hearts. You and I can sit down and read the Word of God, and it may just bounce right off your skull. But the Holy Spirit speaks it deeply into your heart. Holy Spirit uses God's word to change you, to make you more and more like him. How does he do that? Well, it's mysterious. You can't put your finger on it. You can't say, okay, if I, if I pray this prayer, chant this chant, write these verses, read this story, then God's going to do what he's going to do. You can't formulaize it. The Holy Spirit works the way the Holy Spirit works. So there's a bit of mystery there, but I'll tell you one thing that's not a mystery about the Holy Spirit that I really hope you get if you don't get anything else. I know some teach that two-work teaching, you get Jesus, but you don't get the Holy Spirit till you're ready for it, I guess, I'm not sure. But here's the truth according to Scripture. Next blank. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. 
Every believer has the Holy Spirit. You have today, you right now have total access to the Holy Spirit in your life. Don, you have total access to the Holy Spirit in your life. Bert, even with a chicken on your head, turkey on your head, you turkey on your head, you have total access to the Holy Spirit in your life, if you can believe it. <laughs> you know, you have total access to Him now because you have the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to do. I want to show you that in Scripture, but before I show it to you in Scripture, I want to build a case using Scripture for why it's true. So I'm going to build my case, and then I'm going to show you the definitive verses about that. Ephesians 1, 3. I love this passage. I feel like Ephesians is Paul's rough draft before he writes Romans. And he says this right at the beginning. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All praise to God, the Father of Jesus, who has blessed us. Who is us? I just want to make sure. So raise your hand if you're an us. Okay, so we're all us's. Okay, so God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Do you see that? There is no blessing from God that he holds back from you. If you're in Christ, he's given you every spiritual blessing. Why do you think God's holding back on you? Who do you think he is? I know believers. I know believers that are in this camp and that are in this camp. And they're like, well, you know, I, I sinned one day this week, so now God's going to be angry, and we're not on speaking terms anymore. You know, I've got I've to get right with him so he'll talk to me. How do you get right with him without talking to him? Um, but I hear that all the time. You know, I got I to, gotta, what they're saying is earn my way back. But right here, Paul tells us that God has given us every he's not holding back anything he's giving us every spiritual blessing in Christ how generous is God that when he gives us Jesus he gives us all he has for us and it's not holding back I want to continue that thought in another passage that Paul writes but in Romans 8 this will be the passage where we really do much more of a deep dive on the Holy Spirit in our lives. But he says this. He says, Since he, God, did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who do you think God is holding back on you? God's not a stingy God. He is a generous, loving, kind God. He is so giving to you that he did not spare even his own son. He literally sacrificed his son, Jesus, in your place. You should have died. You should have paid the punishment for your sin. I should have paid the punishment for my sin. But God is so loving, so generous, so giving that he gave up his son and allowed his son to be killed so that I could live. Thank you, God, for being that generous to me. And if he was willing to give that level of giving, why wouldn't you expect him to give us everything else? If he gave us his son, why in the world would he be holding back any other blessing, including the Holy Spirit? Paul goes on in the same passage. He says, who dares accuse us? 
whom God has chosen for his own. No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. So who then can condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. God is so for us that God the Father gives us his Son and gives us every blessing, and God the Son is right now sitting, could be up at the Father's right hand on his throne with his legs crossed going, "Uh uh-huh, I see how bad you blew it this week. Uh, I heard that that came out of your mouth. Oh, I caught that attitude right there. (sighs) Mm, We won't even get started with you. I, you know, I did what I could, Father. I did what I could, but, (laughs) you know, he could be doing that. Nope. He is at the Father's right hand pleading for us. He's begging that God continues to give and show mercy. That's how for you God is. Come on. He is for you. He ain't holding anything. Why do you think he's holding something back? Do you you think, what, what is he waiting for? What could you possibly do to earn his favor, his blessings? Jesus has done it all. Peter says this. He says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. The the two-stage salvation people that you have Jesus, but you don't have the Holy Spirit yet, they will tell you that, you know, you can kind of be a baby Christian, a nominal Christian. You You can be saved, and you can sing a song in church on Sunday, but you can't really, I mean, you don't really have access to the power of God in your life until later when you receive the Holy Spirit. But according to Peter, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Every attack of the enemy can be defeated in your life because you've already been given everything you need to win. Every obstacle that you face between you and the thing God's called you to, that is, that is already defeated because you've been given everything in Christ. Every victory he's got planned for you, he's already blessed you with that victory in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes with the package. When you get Jesus, you get it all. You're a child. He's not just waiting for you. You know, maybe, maybe you, you get Jesus, and then when you turn 15, you can get your restricted Holy Spirit license. <laughs> Is that what? No. He gives you everything. Everything. So, one more, one more thing to build my case. Jesus, in Matthew 7, says, if you sinful people, if you bad people, <laughs> know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more? You know how to get, you're not even a good father and you know how to get, give good gifts to your kids. But think about your heavenly father. How good is he and willing is he to give good gifts? What has he given you? I'm asking you, what has God given you? Because why? Because he's awesome, because he loves us. He's given you life. You were dead. The scripture describes you before you knew Jesus as someone who is spiritually dead. You don't have any life of your own, and he's given you the very life you breathe, the air you breathe, everything about your life now. He is replacing you with the Holy Spirit. He is your life. Whose life do you think this is anyway? 
You think it's your life? No, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's what this is. Jesus says, if, if you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself. We say die to yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. This isn't about you adding Jesus into your life. You know, I got my porn addiction. I got my substance abuse. I got my uh, wife beating. Uh, I got my anger issues. Oh, and I got church on Sunday. I got Jesus too. See, I got a full, well-rounded everything. Is that the way this works? No, I have been crucified. Jesus doesn't come in and get added into your life so he can cohabitate with your anger issues. Jesus is out to kill that stuff in your life. He's out to end it. Anything that doesn't align with God gets judged and eliminated. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He points those things out in your life. And he says, that, that right there, Jesus died for that. He died to kill that. Why are you hanging on to it? Let's get that out. He convicts us of sin. And he transforms us. And he gives us new life. So here's what Paul writes in Romans 8. Again, we're going to take a deep dive on this later. But for now, let's just look at it. He says, you are not, you believer, you believer. Whether you came to it from a religious background or an irreligious background, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if, if, here's a big if, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. So how do you know? Well, Paul has this other statement he makes right here, and our English translations largely put this statement in parentheses. But these are the words of Paul. He says, remember. So you're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit living in you. He says, remember, though, that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. In other words, if you belong to Him, you have the Spirit. If you don't belong to Him, you don't have the Spirit. Every believer has the Spirit. You're like, wait a minute, Steve. He said the Spirit of Christ. I know. For whatever reason, Paul, like you and I, will use terminology interchangeably. And when he says the Spirit of Christ, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, because what else would you call the Spirit of Christ? It's the Holy Spirit is what he's saying. He lives in you because you are his. So remember, those that don't have the Spirit of Christ living in them don't belong to him at all. Verse 10, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit gives you life. This isn't your life. It's His life. He is doing the work of sanctification in you, which means that you are dying off and He is growing more and more to be your life. Jesus said in John 3, He says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Now, I just want to be clear that Jesus is kind of using euphemistic language here. So when he says being born of water, he's not talking about baptism. I know a lot of people read this and think he's talking about baptism, but he's, he's talking about a physical thing, water. And he's saying no one can be born, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless you've been born physically, and born again, born of the Spirit. He's talking about two different births, your natural birth and your spiritual birth. 
He says humans, see, here's the proof. Humans can reproduce only human life. That's natural birth. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So Jesus is saying you have to have two births. You have to have the birth of your body, your flesh, your physical nature, and you have to be spiritually born, born of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that gives you that life. So we're commanded, we're commanded in Scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And frankly, I don't have time to get into all that now. This week in Life Group, our Life Group discussion questions are all about being filled with the Holy Spirit and how you do that and what that means. So I hope you'll be in your life group this week. But why? Why does God want you to be filled with the Spirit? What's He up to? Because I promise you, He's up to something. He's the wind, right? I mean, he, you never know where He's coming from, where He's going next. But while you and I may not understand it, while it may seem random to us, it is very intentional on His part. God doesn't do anything by accident. Everything he does is on purpose. And so the Holy Spirit wants to fill you for a reason. Okay? I promise you, his, his purpose isn't to give you a warm fuzzy and make you feel good. I mean, he uses our emotions. He works in our emotions. Our emotions can be good, but they can also be evil. Right? Am I right? I mean, Jesus wouldn't even answer some people's questions because he knew what was in the hearts of man. Right? And Scripture tells us in the Old Testament that the heart is deceitful above all else. It fools you. So you got to be careful about emotions. It says guard your heart. But the Holy Spirit's not out to just give you a warm fuzzy to make you feel good. The Holy Spirit is doing something. He has an objective in your life that only He can accomplish in you. And I want to be really clear what this is. You come to him and you say I want to die to myself and I want to become yours and guess what justification happens instantly he justifies you he pronounces you clean he covers you with his blood and he calls you a child of the king and God no longer sees your sin but I can I can see it in my life I mean even though I've come to him I still come filled with well, you can use your imagination. I mean, I'm filled with myself. I'm filled with, you know, this and vinegar, I guess. I'm, I'm filled with myself. And I come to him, and, and this is who I am. This is what my life... I've spent however many decades in my life building this. And God doesn't snap his fingers and make me instantly clean and pure, does he? Some of us come with hurts and habits and hang-ups that we've spent decades on. And it's hard to get that stuff out. Hard. It takes a long time. But his goal is to purify me, to cleanse me, to make me new, to fill me with living water. It's very different from what I come to him filled with. So he tells us to be filled with the Spirit. You can't be filled with the Spirit unless you're empty of everything else am I right I mean you can only be filled with the spirit to the degree that you're empty of the other everything am I right so what the spirit does is he comes into our life and his goal is to put life inside of us and as he begins to put his spiritual life inside of it hey man his spiritual life and my old life they don't mix 
they can't coexist in the same spot. And so he tells us to be filled with the Spirit because the more we're filled with the Spirit, the less sin can occupy my life. Look at that. Look at that. So he fills me, and the more he fills me, the more he pushes out all that other stuff, gets rid of it. And so I've been a Christian for a long time, like I told you, and I hope that more and more and more I've got that living water in me, less and less and less of me. The way John the Baptist said it was less of me, more of him. That's what he wants. And his goal for you is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, I don't want just, I don't want to just have a little bit of me and a lot of him. Dude, I want my lifestyle to be like this, where he is just filling me all the time, and my cup runneth over, and it's him just spilling out from me all over everybody else and everything around me, and this never-ending filling into my life. Can I get an amen, somebody? That's what I want in my life. That's what I want in your life. I want him to fill me. Because when he fills me, that's when I have power. That's when I'm an overcomer. That's when I experience his power and his peace, when I find his presence in my life. That's what he wants to do in filling me. It's not about just giving me a good emotional high, although that's great. But he wants to turn me into something new. He is not just making me better. He is transforming me into a new image. In fact, the next blank on your page is God's work in me, the Holy Spirit's work, is transformation. He's not just kind of changing me and saying, well, I like this a little better. I don't like that. We'll change the color of these drapes, and we'll move the furniture in a different spot. No, he wants to eliminate me, and he wants to replace me with Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Spirit comes, and he eliminates me, and he replaces me with Jesus. Jesus said it. The Spirit points to me. He talks about me. He tells you about me. And what he's saying is he's pointing you to the gospel. He's pointing you to repentance and faith. He's not pointing you uh, to, I don't know, the feel good, although I hope you feel good. Steve, I hope you feel good. I know you've been to the doctor this week. I hope you feel good. But man, he wants to transform you from your old, broken, yellow nothing into something new and beautiful that sparkles and shines. That's what he wants to do in your life. That's why he gives us the Spirit. I want to know his amazing resurrection power to make me new. Don't you? So Paul tells us, he says, Brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You don't have to go back to that. You hear me, believer? I know you feel trapped by your old habits. I know you can't stop being angry. I know the way you talk is just the way you talk. I know it feels like you're hopelessly stuck in those old, terrible patterns that hurt you and hurt others around you. But Paul says, you don't have to go back to that. You don't have to go back to that. For if you live by that, you will die. It's killing you. Stop. He says, but if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature then you will live for all who are led by the spirit are children of god the holy spirit gives you the power to overcome that to grow past that to get beyond it and to fully experience his power and his present 
presence in your life. So uh, God wants to do this work in you. So I want to encourage you, man, to be sensitive to, I'm trying to wipe some of the oil off my fingers, to be sensitive to who God is and what he wants to do in your life. And the way you do that is, last blank on your page, is to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5 says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? What will that look like in your life? Oh, look, I think, it, I think it makes you feel good. I mean, I do think it makes you feel good. I think it gives you power to live the Christian life even better. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives you spiritual power. And when you do that, you'll be, when you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and giving thanks to everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to make you thankful. It's going to make you grateful. It's going to make you worshipful. Believers, stop singing on Sunday mornings about God's resurrecting power in your life while your hands are stuck in your pockets. If the Holy Spirit's in you, dude, let it out. Man, go ahead and shout to Him. He ain't scared to hear your voice. I know you can't carry a tune. God doesn't have a metronome and he doesn't have a little auto-tune because he doesn't care about your voice. He just wants your heart. He wants your heart to be expressed in every area of your life. So don't put God in a box. God does what he wants in your life. Let him. Let him.